So it was really eye-opening to make friends who didn't automatically give me that label. And so that was just really refreshing because I kind of got to start to see what that label meant to me. I can be whoever I want. And that is a wonderfully refreshing change. There are no labels and that's, that's wonderful. and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 3, Episode 10, Come Home to Your Body, Part 2. Hi everyone, it's Kevin. Welcome back to the podcast. This isn't the original voiceover I was going to do for this episode. As of this episode's debut, there's a lot in the news this very week, which speaks to one of the topics discussed in the call that you're about to hear. And that topic has to do with how hollow and ineffective so many prayers are. They aren't changing anything, least of all us. They aren't moving us, but rather pleading for some magical intervention to cause meaningful change where we are unwilling to. Often such prayers ultimately become a way to disengage and to neglect tangible action. And that applies to how many of us grew up praying for healing and miracles as surely as it does to the gun debate raging in America today. Hollow thoughts and prayers, fleeting sympathy, And that's about it. But nothing changes, no matter how elaborate our prayerful deflections. I've had more than my fill of that from evangelicalism, and it's not a practice that I ever wanted to carry with me in reconstructing something new. As our producer Derek's new song, which underscores this and the part one episode from last week, dives into, I think one of the key benefits to embodiment is that it's substantial by definition. In a room or in a nation where many people are prone to detachment and disembodiment, a lot of hollow ideas and promises get promoted as answers, and hope is placed in vapor. And a community in which on-the-ground advocacy is discouraged while prayers for intervention abound is really no place to be fully alive. It reminds me of something provocative but simple. Maybe you are the miracle you need to see. This week, we continue with part two of Come Home to Your Body, a meditation not only on embodiment, but groundedness, advocacy, and life beyond the limiting narratives and labels placed on us. 
I'd love to start by just hearing some of your story, some of the backdrop to where you are now. Yeah, so I am an amputee. I was basically born with a birth defect. Uh, basically means my femur bone is malformed and other sorts of weird things going on with my leg. But ultimately, my right foot was amputated when I was 10 months old. So uh, I think I was fitted with my first prosthetic when I was two. Uh, so basically, my entire life is been in a prosthetic and um, kind of grew up that way. Mm -hmm. So my parents knew about the about my leg during the pregnancy. So at the time they were attending an evangelical church where, you know, they definitely believed in like the power of prayer. And so they told their church and, you know, as churches do, they started to pray for them, you know, God heal this baby in utero. We know you can perform miracles, uh, so perform one for this family. And my mom told me later that she never, like, she believed in the power of prayer, but she never felt like God was, I guess, necessarily going to heal me. She she says that she more felt that God was going to provide for me and for, you know, any surgeries and the 10 prosthetics I'm going to have between, you know, the time I was two and the time I was 17. Mm. So, but kind of that, like praying over my leg kind of became like a theme, mm -hmm. uh, from like my childhood and teenage years. My church was definitely like in the mid nineties on that, like revival train, like the Benny Hinn revival train sort of train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, church in Florida, I think. Brownsville Revival? Yes. Yeah. Yep. They were definitely kind of on that train. So definitely they're like, God can perform a miracle in your life. You know, we can pray for you. He can heal your leg. You can have a full leg. And kind of looking back on it now, you know, that would have been a heck of a miracle. You know, my leg grows like six inches and they get a bone and a foot. And mm -hmm. But as a kid, adults tell you these things and you just kind of accept them because you trust these people and they're like, Oh, you know, have faith. God can heal you. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's like this Christian checklist. And if you meet all these things, God will provide this miracle for you. Mm. Um, and then, you know, after the prayer and there's not a leg magically there, you know, they don't necessarily say to you there must be something in your life preventing this from happening but even as a kid you can kind of read between the lines where they're like well there must be something there yeah. you know yeah. to uh, keep this from happening so I had this like overarching fear of 
even something as small as, you know, if I lied to my parents, I was never going to get, you know, the leg they kept telling me about, and I was going straight to hell. I think I got saved by the time I was eight, probably 50 times. Mm. And and then, you know, after the prayer, you know, those prayer sessions, they usually say something along the lines, you know, normal Christianisms like, God will never give you more than you can handle, right. and fun stuff, fun stuff like that. The prayer kind of over my leg really became prominent, especially at like church retreats and camps. Sometimes it felt like they needed to focus on who they felt was the neediest person in the room. Hmm. And since, you know, I'm missing a leg, I'm apparently the neediest person, even though I didn't feel needy. Right. That feeling of actually the, the person who expressed this last season was saying she always felt like a project, but never a partner in ministry as a result of, of you know, ha- having a difference and getting to feel like the project in the room and yet, you know, not a lot of times seen yeah. in ways that actually would be nice. Yes. And kind of going off of that, um, my family was also very involved in the church, you know, Literally anytime the doors were open, like we were there Tuesday, Wednesday and Sundays, we were there. And, uh, you know, I loved being a part of like the church drama, but I was always kind of typecast as like the disabled girl, like a disabled girl gets mad at God because he made her this way. Or, you know, disabled girl is depressed because, because of her leg and, but God still loves her and she's going to be strong and move past it, I guess. I don't know. Mm. But I never, uh, I think there was one time I played an angel in, in one of the church dramas. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the few times I remember not kind of being typecast. Mm. So mm. they kind of give you this label of you are disabled. And I'm still not entirely sure what that meant to them. Um, but it kind of felt like even at like church retreats or camps, like anytime I would do anything outside of this label, it was mind blowing to them. Like I have this memory of kids camp. I jumped off the diving board. I did a cannonball and we came back and my pastor talked about how great it was that I just jumped off the diving board doing a cannonball. Like I don't think it's that strange to be doing cannonballs as a kid into a pool. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, they like to focus on like, they thought it was profound. And I was just like, I like doing cannonballs. Hmm. Um, and they kind of, they used like what they seemed is profound, I guess, to kind of put it into like what they thought my testimony should be. Cause my church was really big into having a testimony and what's your testimony and doing things kind of outside this label. They felt like it had to be a part of my testimony when really most of the time I was like, yeah, I have a leg, but I feel like a normal person and I don't see how, um, you know, they never really gave me a chance to reflect on kind of what I learned under like maybe a different label as like a daughter or a sister or a friend or all these other things that I was. Yeah. 
So, so feeling um, like feeling, I guess, limited to that aspect of your identity is the yeah is the dominant theme there. Yeah. Well, when did that start to unravel for you then? Like, I know for myself, growing up in the same, like, assumption of healing and God's power and God would do stuff. And I am, I'm blind in my left eye. Okay. Which I haven't actually talked about ever on the podcast. Um, there was an accident in fifth grade. Um, I was shot essentially at point blank range with a pellet gun. No fault oh, of my no. own. And, you know, there were surgeries and stuff, but ultimately, like it ripped out a bunch of the iris and the pupil permanently dilated and the, the natural lens was gone. And, um, because of my dad's connections, I was on a, and how much family I have that's in the pastorate. I don't know. You could make the argument. I was on as many prayer lists, uh, worldwide <laughs> as anyone ever was. And obviously I made it through, but I remember there were a number of years, you know, junior high, high school thinking maybe, Maybe the prayer could work for me. I could get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, you know, at year by year, I was seeing even the tiny blur, extremely blurry vision I had left go until one day in my early 20s, I just remember noticing it was totally gone, just black. Yeah. And and I, I bring that up to say that for me, the realization that healing services and all that other stuff didn't seem dependent on how much glory it would bring to God if I was healed being in, in as visible a place as I was, because I was in the pastorate mm-hmm. at that point, and it didn't seem like however earnestly I desired and prayed for it seemed to matter. So I just remember over time there was this gradual feeling like, hmm, I don't think it actually works this way. And then I became increasingly suspect of prayer and healing services. I started noticing yeah. that when people did get quote-unquote healed there, it was always of that cancer they didn't know they had or that back pain you know, God's just, yeah. someone's got cancer in their, you know, in their rib right now. And God's just healing that. Oh, praise Jesus. <laughs> and that dragged at me. And I tried out the cliche. Maybe you did too. Well, God's still doing healing in the third world. Just not here because we have a medical system. And then yeah, that became increasingly ineffective at soothing me because I thought there are a lot of people hurting here. A lot of people without medical insurance. So as as usual, the the evangelical kind of dodge paints god to be a completely oblivious jerk so then that didn't work either (laughs) Uh, but yeah like like i said ultimately that was such a gradual process for me that i can't even pinpoint the moment do you have that Mm -hmm. as something that was a moment you lost that or was it gradual for you as well it it was definitely gradual for me i do remember i i don't think i've ever actually told anyone this but i remember my senior year of high school i was sitting in youth group and my youth pastor was talking about, you know, the power of prayer and healing. And he was talking about how he had seen a a leg grow six inches because of the power of prayer. And he was looking directly at me and he went, this can happen to you too. And I sat there and I stared at him and I was like, this is bull. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't need this to happen to me. I'm fine the way I am. Like, in been the 17 years, if God hasn't healed me up to this point, why should I believe that he's going to decide to heal me now? Mm-hmm. Why wait 
<laughs> what are we waiting yeah. for? You know, it's it's not because I didn't believe. It's not because I didn't pray hard. It's so. What yeah. are we waiting for? Yeah, exactly. The expectation of healing itself, like in later years, I've come to think of it along the lines theologically, just from the understanding that on one hand, with one hand, evangelicals promote the idea that nothing is happening that doesn't, you know, pass through the filter of God allowing it. And then on the other hand, they, we believe in the God who does miracles or Jesus who went around doing miracles. And I remember kind of this aha moment where if those things were simultaneously true, we have to confront the idea, at least Christians should have to confront the idea, that they essentially believe Jesus went around undoing the works of God. And yeah. and that's obviously, you know, that's a sticky point that most people, because they only look at it from one angle at a time, don't, don't really confront. But it's nonetheless an important thing to talk about in the yeah. church. Yeah. <laughs> So that was definitely kind of one of the pivotal, I think one of the pivotal moments where I was just like, I don't think this is going to happen. Mm. And then also like kind of going that transition from high school to college. And I went to a secular like state school and I was surrounded by people who didn't treat me like I was just some subject waiting to be healed and they're like oh she has a leg you know mm-hmm. she seems okay with it let's move on mm-hmm. so it was really eye-opening to make friends who were who didn't automatically give me that label of you know the disability mm-hmm. and so that was just really refreshing because I kind of got to start to see what kind of that label meant to me because growing up in church, the label had kind of been, I felt, defined by the church. And being able to, you know, kind of just figuring out really who I was being disabled. Um, mm. And, you know, they just gave me that space to explore it. So come home to your body. To somebody you always know. And that kind of just being outside of prayer atmosphere, like that healing at all times atmosphere, when I started to be able to see kind of what, you know, the world offered, that's really when I kind of started to take things apart. Because I realized that when you realize that not everyone wants to see you healed and a lot of people are okay with just the way you are. Something something here doesn't quite add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way, it's nostalgia. It surrounds you, and you're not alone. I had, like, my first or second job after college. I was working at a supervisor for a sandwich shop. And it was kind of my first like adult experience in the healthcare system. Um, growing mm-hmm. up, I had the privilege of being involved with the Shriners organization. Mm-hmm. So basically, whatever healthcare costs my parents' insurance didn't cover, Shriners would. My mom always joked that I was the $6 million baby that she didn't have to pay for. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I was at work and I fell and my leg at my prosthetic actually broke. And being at a sandwich shop, you're on your feet all day. So I took it in to get it fixed. And then it fell under, you know, the fun pre-existing condition clause where, you know, insurance companies can tell you no, it's stupid and idiotic, but they can turn you down simply because you got on this insurance plan Mm -hmm. for something that wasn't remotely your fault. And so when I went back to my church, this community that I trusted and, you know, power of prayer, we're going to keep praying for you. Uh, Mm. (laughs) I went back and I was like, yo, this is a deal. I can't, I need to get my leg fixed. The people at my leg office are saying, I got maybe a month left on this thing, but I had, I needed to work because I wasn't in a position, like I couldn't keep the job if, you know, I didn't have my leg and they just like completely ignored it. They're like, oh yes, I'll pray for you. But they didn't want to listen to what I had to say beyond, you know, the prayer part, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to advocate for myself. This is, this is a huge thing. Lots of other people deal with. Maybe we should, you know, try advocating for these people. And they were not interested. Hmm. They kept saying they wanted to pray for me. But, and then even when I gave them something super, like kind of an easy way to advocate for people, I'm part of this online community for amputees. And they were passing a petition to pass a bill through Congress to kind of legally protect amputees right to health care and they wanted nothing to do with it and I was like hmm. when I when I kind of started opening that conversation for health care they were you know I'll pray about it and get back to you or I'll pray for you I even had a couple Christians that I knew and greatly respected at the time call me a socialist simply because oh. uh, and told me I no, lo- no longer believed in God I wasn't even you know trying to touch the universal health care thing. I was just trying to fix what was wrong with our current system in something that I'm not the only one going through this. And when uh, they just, there's just so much negativity behind all of it. And, you know, the second time someone told me I didn't believe in God, I was just kind of like, and we're done. <laughs> yeah. So the idea being, like, you can't possibly see this social and political issue in this practical way without not going to God first or or whatever. But the reality is that it's their own social and political bias that's preventing them from actually putting love into action. You know, it's like, oh, we'll pray, but here's an opportunity to be hands and feet. Can't do it, you know, and... Yeah. And, yeah, especially any time they can tag anything socialist, which is always an adventure (laughs) yeah it's depressing how often the discussion shuts down there yeah well and two when i i did kind of have to wait out the pre-existing condition thing but my people my leg people were super great and anytime i had any sort of issue they basically just put band-aids on my old one just to get me through but when I finally was able to get the new one and I, I saw that bill and, you know, I'm like, guys, look, here's financial evidence of this, this thing 
that I wear, you know, medically necessary, it's like 28 grand. Mm-hmm. And um, like I wasn't, I never raised the question of being like, hey, you know, help me pay for this. I never raised that question. I just, you know, I, I just knew that I wasn't the only one out there going through this. But they didn't even really want to, like, look at the actual numbers of how broken this healthcare system is. Right. about two years since I just completely walked away. After I walked away, I started hiking religiously once or twice a week, sometimes three times if I could fit it in. And that's kind of, I guess, where I found, I guess I would consider hiking sacred. Mm. Um, It was honestly where I think I found God in his truest form just because it took me a while but I realized walking away that God isn't the church necessarily Mm -hmm. or God isn't necessarily my church and I feel like hiking and being out there in nature I found God in his truest form just kind of being out there away from the noise and the negativity and the, and the labels, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of hikes I pick are kind of solitary, mm-hmm. uh, for the sheer fact that I'm not going to run into a lot of people. And so there's no one out there to be like, Oh, look at her. She's the, you know, there, I can be, I can be whoever I want when I hike. Mm-hmm. And that is a wonderfully, refreshing change Hmm. there are no labels and that's that's wonderful But I do actually go to mass with my husband. I really have come to appreciate kind of the structure of mass and mm-hmm. kind of see like the beauty and the rituals of, you know, they do follow the same format every week. And it, I feel like it also kind of gives me some, I get to maintain some distance from kind of the church itself because I can come in, I can listen to a homily and then I can decide kind of what it means to me mm-hmm. and just being able to go through God and discover God in ways that aren't defined by a church is really nice. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I know like the Roman Catholic Church is very defined in how they do things, but I I feel like I can find distance between me and the ritualistic mm-hmm. stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The religious part of it is interesting in that it's it's so much less offensive than the part that you were taught to fear growing up if you grew up an evangelical where yeah. um, you know, the stand up sit down kind of approach to everything it does strike me as so much more free and so much more meditative in allowing you to really find God on your uh, on your own in your own way yeah. and not putting you through the filters that evangelicalism does. Yeah. My my younger sister has kind of been one of my biggest supporters through kind of this whole like deconstruction reconstruction phase. When I first told her about it, um, I was really worried because she went to this tiny Bible college. I guess I, I guess I felt she was more conservative than she actually is, mm. and she was immediately like, "You know what? Let's talk about this. Here are all these resources." She's like, "I've looked into New Age philosophies. I've read about you know Shintoism and Buddhism and different world religions." Her deconstruction was very different from mine. But she's like, I know what you're going through. Hmm. The experience may be different, but we can talk about it. And, you know, if you have questions, you can ask. She really was kind of my support line when I kind of felt like I was drowning. Hmm. She's been wonderful through this whole thing. That's cool. That's really cool. Have you, being someone who really connects to something essential and beautiful in nature, have you looked into Shintoism at all? I I haven't necessarily um, explored much outside of. I'm not even sure at this point. I'm like I enjoy I like math, but I don't know if I necessarily consider myself a Christian, like mm-hmm. in their normal uh, definition of the word. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm still exploring kind of what spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, but she definitely recommended kind of looking into that. It's so interesting to me that you brought it up. Like that's, it's something I've been thinking about. I originally encountered that religion only through like watching anime and stuff like that. I would uh-huh. see people act out in certain ways religiously. I didn't really have a frame of reference for, but what I've come to understand is the approach has a lot to do with there really being no spirituality outside of that which is embodied. At least that would be my super Western yeah. that my super Western way of saying <laughs> it. But recognizing the like essentially the gods and the demons in everything. Mm-hmm. Animate, inanimate, and you know, a lot of people love mer- what Marie Kondo's doing with t- tidying up, and there's a Shinto yeah. basis to all that. And and it sort of drives you to recognize the sacred within the mundane. And yeah. since that is so much of what I have reconstructed anyway, as a post-Christian, yeah, I really do warm to that idea because it doesn't seem like it's not at, the theology of it isn't at odds with the world I see around me. It seems like properly engaged, it just gives me a way of being more intentional and more meaningful in the way I do engage the world around me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've been sympathetic to it. I've been wanting to look more into it myself. Yeah. Um, she's, I still, you know, even some two years later, I still have that kind of annoying little voice in the back of my head going like, so ingrained in you, like, I don't know, Jesus is the way, the truth and life. 
only way <laughs> to heaven is through him. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, maybe that, that actually means something, but to right now it's just more of an annoyance. Um, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? That statement is always used to scare people, and you take it on board because it's sort of used to threaten you. Yeah. But even, I mean, even within the Bible, Jesus answers that question to his disciples to calm them, to still them, to comfort them. You know, when, when he's asked, like, we don't know where you're going, Lord, like, how are we going to be with you? That's his answer. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I am the way, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's it's really hard with my evangelical upbringing to read those words as comfort, even though right there yeah. in the passage, oh. that's the way they are intended. They do. They come out like a threat. So I don't know. I always remind myself and other evangelicals that I run into who use them to threaten people. Like Jesus used those words to comfort his disciples. And so, you know, I've I've... I try to encourage people, let's not, you know, let's, let's slow down with using them to threaten non-disciples. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, because there's that, there's a subtle sleight of hand there. There always is. <laughs> so I'm still trying to kind of mute it or. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, they've been used in a unhealthy or scary fashion in your life. And that's a hard thing. Yeah. They still are a trigger. Yes. And they might always be. That's the thing. You, don't, you never know if that sort of thing's going to dissipate or not. From where you stand now, from where you perceive the world around you, and all that stuff, all that goes into it, what would you say is the hardest fought lesson that you've learned, at least in your process so far? You know, it might seem like an obvious one, but realizing that I can't be mad at all of Christianity. You know, I'm angry and I'm hurt. And I was just blaming all of Christians, like all Christians. If you are a Christian, it's your fault. And realizing that not everyone, you know, maybe your church and there are probably plenty of other churches that believe the same thing, but there are plenty of Christians out there who, you know, actually are the hands and feet of Jesus and this petition that you have, they will sign it because they will support you even though you kind of turned away from your faith and that kind of stuff. So for me, it was, it seems like an obvious lesson, but for me and kind of the hurt and the kind of betrayal I felt after, you know, being called socialist several times and that I don't believe in God because, you know, I want to support other people. It was soul crushing really. Mm -hmm. Um, so moving on and moving, finding you can't judge everyone by that and trying to forgive, Mm. uh, is definitely the big one. So just taking people as they come. Yes. Which is kind of what Jesus did. So yeah. (laughs) Again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your experience and perspective. Thank you very much for reaching out. Yeah. You have a lovely night, and I really do appreciate you taking the time. Oh, not at all. Um, Have a great night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
That's almost it for this week. A couple important things, though. If you're listening in real time, our next episode has a lot more going into it and more prep required, and it will be here in two weeks. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and theairingofgrief.com. Check us out on Patreon to support this work and have access to all the bonuses. Check out DerekWebb.com and JamieLeeFinch.com for more from our producers, music, books, tour dates, etc. And if you can, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Good ratings and reviews really help to make us visible. But that's all for now, so we will see you again next time, after church, for the airing of grief. Come.